the, the Parsha Vayetze really in effect is the first Parsha that becomes very symbolic of our present situation. Avram, Yitzhak and Yaakov, we have a rule, principle, Ramban elaborates it, Maisa, Ovo, Simon, Lebonim, the actions of the forefathers as well as what happens to them is usually some sort of a precursor of future events and Avram Avinu was the one that dealt with the symbolized the first Golos in Egypt, Yitzhak the second Yaakov then represents the long Golos that we are in today Yaakov of course was the one that had to battle Esau and he had the most prolonged period of trials, tribulations, travails, his entire life was one of Golos in fact, the words, Vayetze Yaakov Miber Shava. Yaakov had to leave. Yaakov had to move. Yaakov becomes the prototype wandering Jew. And to this day, we wander from land to land for all these past thousands of years, just like Yaakov Avinu. So, in a sense, when Yaakov is going off on his very own personal Golas, which becomes symbolic of the Jewish people's long Golas of the night. Yaakov Yaakov begins by davening second pasuk by Yifka Bamokov. from here we derive that Yaakov is the inventor of the tefillah known as Mayrev the Mayrev services Mayrev of course is the prayer that we say at night Gemara in a number of places says how the night is symbolic of Golos Golos is the night we are in that long night of Golos and therefore the prayers of Yaakov the prayers of Mayrev is the prayer of Golos, of going into Golos. And therefore the dream of Yaakov was also the dream of Golos. He's going out, he's leaving his home, he's leaving his yeshiva environment, and he stops off on his way to Golos in that last holy place where the base of Migdash was built and destroyed. And how the Kliyokar explains how this particular <coughs> episode of Yaakov falling asleep there is also symbolic of the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash of where, where the sun sets prematurely as if to symbolize the sun of the Beis HaMikdash setting and how Yaakov sleeps on a rock, on a stone also symbolic of what the Jews to this day do on Tishabov, where there's a custom to sleep on, on a stone well, not all of us have that custom but uh, there was such a custom and that's of course Tishabov. so Yaakov is going off into Golis and he's davening and he's having a dream and he's symbolizing the future Golos, his personal wandering as a wandering Jew, and also the collective wandering of the Jewish people. And he has this dream of Golos, where the angels of the different empires go up and come down, go up and come down, representing the different Golios that the Jews are going to have to, have to work their way through. What's interesting about this Parsha, the Balaturim, the Daskenim, Balaitaisis, others point out is that it's called a Parsha Stuma, although differently than what we're used to when we discuss Parsha Stuma. Parsha Stuma in this case means that, that in the Torah, where you have breaks and separations between segments, those segments known as Parshios, the entire Parsha Vayetze has no breaks, no interruptions, it's not segmented into different sections. There's no parashiyos 
stumos or psuchos. That's what we mean by parshios, stumos, psuchos. The one other place where we have where we have a uh, a remark of this nature is parshas vayichi. How vayichi Yaakov Beretz Mitzrayim begins as a parsha that's connected with the previous parsha by Yigash without a break there either. And over there also, we have an interesting connection to this Pasha by Yetzay. Over there it's by Yechi Yaakov Beretz Mitzrayim, the beginning of Yaakov's life in Golis. And again we have the concept of Golis, of the Golis that represents what the Jewish people are going through, as symbolized by this idea of a Pasha Stuma, this hidden Pasha, this mystery, sort of the mystery of Golis, the mystery of suffering, as well as the mystery of the success of Yaakov in Golis. Vayichi Yaakov, Be'eretz Mitzrayim. Yaakov lived, but where? In Egypt. That's where he had the, he achieved the pinnacle of his life, was in Egypt. Vayichi Yaakov, Be'eretz Mitzrayim. And it's a parasha stuma, as Rashi says, because nistmu eneem shal Yisrael, livu shal Yisrael mitzaras hashibud, that the eyes and the hearts closed off. Closed off because of the Golis. Or another shot that Rashi brings down over there is that Yaakov wanted to tell his children when the end of the Golis is going to be and it slipped him. He, it slipped out of his sight, became closed off. But again, both of those pshatim there deal with the concept of a Parsha Stuma as referring to Golis. That Golis, the whole Parsha of the Jewish people in exile, in a diaspora in Golis, and why we're here and what we accomplish here is one of the greatest mysteries of all, as we'll shortly see. In fact, as I'll just briefly make mention of one point, the why the Gemara brings down why is it that the Torah is broken into these segments, to these parshios, psuchos and stumos as they're called. Why is it? So the Gemara tells us, Chazal explained that when Hashem gave the Torah to Moshe, He gave him the Torah in a parsha, you'd say a few psukim or a section and then he'd stop to give Moshe time for contemplation to meditate, to try to absorb and understand the message of what God told him so therefore the Torah has those breaks because those breaks are really places of where God made a break so to speak and said think it over try to understand what I've said if that's the case then the symbolism of having Vayichi Yaakov, Beret Mitzrayim of having the Golis being closed off becomes much more meaningful. Not only is it symbolic of the fact that Yaakov wanted to tell us the end and couldn't, or Yaakov or the Jewish people became closed up as a result of the Golis, but even the whole mystery of the Golis was something which was even beyond the capacity of Moshe Rabbeinu himself to comprehend, to understand, to absorb, to digest. Moshe was not given a chance to break and understand, you know what, this is something that you'll never understand anyway. It's a mystery that's hidden by God alone. So the Parsha of Golis was hidden even from Moshe Rabbeinu. There's no point of having a break. By the same token, therefore, this Parsha, Vayetze, is also the Parsha that begins with, with Golis. Vayetze Yaakov, Yaakov leaves. Yaakov begins his wandering. Yaakov begins his own Golis, which becomes a symbolic metaphor of the Jewish people's goals. It's also a parsha stuma. It's also a hidden, mysterious, almost mystical kind of a cosmic secret that's only by Hashem. 
However, here the idea of Pasha's tomb is a little bit different. Here what we have is we have a break in the beginning and a break at the end. As if to say, everything in between is connected. And you have to take the whole goals as one before you can begin to understand. This is the theme that Reb Chaim Shmulevitz now deals with. Let's take a look at what he says. What, what is the it says Reb Chaim Shmulevitz, We have many titles of the sages. Rabbi, Rav, Rabon. And then we have sages that have no title. They're so great. They were beyond titles. No, we have Hillel, Shammai, Akavya bin Mahalalel, right? We have a number of sages that their greatness was so great that it's superfluous. Almost, almost it reduces them by saying Rabbi. You're also a Rabbi here? You're Hillel, one and only. An interesting title that one of the sages had, not Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabon, Rav, Moron, but rather Gamzu. It was called Nochum Ish Gamzu. Nochum the man of Gamzu. Gamzu of course means also this. Why? So Chazal already tells us the reason was because whatever happened to him in life he would always say Gamzu Latova. This is also for the good. Everything that happened. All bad things that happened. Same story of Nochum Ish Gamzu when he went to, to Rome with a present for the king and when they got there they opened it up and it seems someone embezzled the gold that was in there and replaced it with dirt and now they're pretty scared it was going to be rather embarrassing and the king was going to get the emperor was going to get angry Gamzul Tov everything's for the best and it worked out that way anyway with, however the story ends over there it's not important for us right now but therefore it was called Nochemish Gamzu. says Rebbe we see apparently this is a tremendous title to give him Loiniska Klaub Mitaya Rebbe Vlo Rabbi Nochem he wasn't called Rebbe, Rebbe Nochum. Elo Nochum Ish Gamzu. Nochum, the man of Gamzu. Or the word Ish sometimes means the, the owner, the Balabos, the one that, that understood this idea of Gamzu. Apparently this is the greatest title to give him. Apparently, once they gave him this title of Gamzu, he didn't need any other kind of title. He then brings down from the Balei Taisvis and the Balaturim why Parshas Vayetze is considered Kula Stumas, considered all closed up the Pasha. There's no Psuchas and Stumas. He then brings down in the next paragraph, Vinei Kiedua, Nitnu Hefseka Parshas. Again, I'm going to read this, this Shmuz. I won't necessarily read every single word of it because a little bit too wordy then and distracting so I'll skip every once in a while I'll read I'm not going to stop at each point to tell you exactly where I'm reading from so you'll have to just follow along somehow so he says in the third paragraph as we've explained the purpose of the parashas was given for Moshe to contemplate therefore it comes out the fact that this parasha was written all as one without any kind of breaks cries out for some sort of an explanation why was it that Moshe wasn't given time to try to digest and absorb the message of Parshas Vayetze till the very end he then in the next paragraph quotes 
Loma Taimar Yaakov. Why do you say Yaakov? Nistro Darkimi Hashem, my way is hidden from God. Pasakin Yeshaya. Omru Chazal. Chazal say a very interesting criticism of Yaakov regarding this Pasuk. Yaakov never said an idle word. Elokan. Only in this matter, which is what? That when when Yaakov found out that they had difficulty with Yosef, who at the time he didn't know was Yosef in Egypt and all of the troubles that were happening. So Yaakov like let go a word from his mouth. Loma Harayosem. Why did you why did you do evil to me? Loma Harayosem, why did you deal wickedly with me? Omar Kodesh Baruch, God said, What's Yaakov talking about? I am working out a plan that his son should become king of Egypt. That he should become the emperor of the greatest empire. Or the grand vizier. And Yaakov is saying, Why are bad things happening to me? Is that what Yaakov is saying when I'm trying to do what's going to make him the, the king of the of the world that's what this Pasuk refers to in other words Vahainu the Yaakov Avinu next paragraph Donas Mikra Prati Yaakov Avinu made the mistake of passing judgment on a particular event and not viewing it in the context of what's happening before what's happening after after all as a human being he doesn't really know what happened and he certainly does not know what will happen. So human beings are always are always given to this to this particular mistake. In fact, the Medrash, this is a very interesting one in terms of when Moshe Rabbeinu approached Hashem and said, How come we see innocent people suffering? Why do we see innocent people suffering? And that really is the question of goals. And Hashem was telling Moshe Rabbeinu, you can't understand, you will not be able to comprehend goals until you see the whole picture and Hashem said I'll give you an example and I once told you the story in the Medrash of the of this knight who was riding his horse stopped by a stream to get a drink and he loses a purse of gold by the water stream and afterwards he rides off and a poor shepherd boy comes along sees the purse finds it rejoices at his great fortune goes home and then along comes this old homeless type of person and he lays down in the bushes and he goes to sleep later on the night discovers his loss he runs back to the stream he looks around doesn't see it finds this guy is the only person being there shakes him awake and says what do you do with my money the guy totally denies it he doesn't believe him he keeps shaking him and beating him until he kills him and Hashem says this is how I run the world to which Moshe Rabbeinu said, that's the way you run the world. I mean, is that a way to run a world? And Hashem says, your problem is that you're walking in the middle of the movie. You can't, you can't understand the movie when you walk in the middle. So he rewinds, he puts a little bit and rewind, goes back several years, where Moshe Rabbeinu now sees another picture, and he sees how, and he sees how a farmer is walking with his young son, and holding his, all of his belongings, his savings, his life savings, savings, a purse of gold. At which point, a vagabond, a robber comes along, attacks the farmer, kills him, steals the gold, 
leaves the little boy there crying. Nowadays, of course, they wouldn't do that either. But, and as he's running away, a knight hears the commotion, the crying, comes running there, sees what happens. This person runs away into the forest. He accidentally drops the gold. The knight sees the dead body there. The guy ran away. But he sees the gold. He says, what does the kid know from gold? I'll take it. I could do better with it. Yeah, better for me. So, Hashem says, this little boy is the young shepherd that grew up later on. This gold rightfully belonged to him. This is the knight that stole it and now returned it to its rightful owner. And he killed the robber who happened to have been that homeless person. He was the one that attacked the, the young boy's father. It's justice. It's justice that you can't see when you only see the middle of the story. You know, only later. I was struck very much this morning when I read a kind of a subtext to a picture how the mother of this, of this boy in New Jersey, in Delaware, who killed his own baby, or allegedly killed his own baby, she said, how could I give him over to the state? Because if something happens to him, I'll have the blood of my child in my hands. It's remarkable that she said such a thing. Like, how could I give him over to execution? If they ever execute him, it'll be my fault. And she said, and this is her only child. And the blood of my only child, I'll be responsible for his death. <laughs> Poetic justice. I mean, let's rewind the real only 24 hours. We don't even have to go back beyond that. The blood of his child is on his hands. Literally. And she's worried that indirectly I'll cause his death. What does Hillel say in the mission in Pirkei Ovis, When he sees a skull floating on the waters in Pirkei Ovis, Because you drowned someone else, you were drowned. He who drowned you will himself subsequently be drowned. We're only seeing part of the picture. The, the marshal they give is a person that walks in the middle of davening. The Pasik says in Ashray, we daven it three times a day. Shomer Hashem is called Ohavov. God protects all those that He loves. Let's call her Shoim and all of the wicked. Yashmid, He destroys. But if you walk in the middle of the Pasik and you miss even just the first word, you know what you hear? What you hear is, is the following. As call of you miss the word Shomer, Hashem is call of God protects all those that He loves. And you walk in and you don't hear the word Shomer, He protects, He guards. But rather you only hear the next word. As call of all of those that He loves. That's call or Shoim. And all of the wicked, Yashmid, He destroys. So what did you hear? All you hear is all those that He loves, all the wicked, God destroys them all. What's going on? Why is that? And you know what? And if you walk out in the middle of the story and you miss the last word, Yashmid, he destroys, you also get a wrong conception. Because what do you hear then? Shomer Hashem is called Oavov. God protects all those that he loves. That's called Oshom and all the wicked as well. Yashmid. You miss the word Yashmid, he destroys. So what do you hear? Shomer Hashem is called Oavov. It's called Oshom. God guards and protects those that he loves and those that are wicked. Hey, no justice. You missed one word. So if you walk in a word too late, why are the innocent suffering? If you walk out a word too early, why are the wicked prospering? The point is we're in the middle of a gallus, we're in the middle of the story, we're in the middle of the event. There's no way we could see the whole picture. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu's mistake was. 
Therefore, Hashem is trying to show Moshe with a demonstration. There's no way that you could understand the idea of what it's all about in this world, Golas. There's no point in contemplating along the way in the middle. You're not going to understand it anyway, unless you see everything from the first word to the end. Yaakov Avinu was like all human beings, judging things by the event. The event that he sees is what? He sees all the tsars that are happening to him. Loma Harayosa, all this evil, why is it befalling me? And God says, don't you realize, of course you don't, that I'm in the middle of trying to bring about Yosef as becoming king? In fact, in Parshas Vayeshev, we have a similar, a similar medrash that tells us that Yaakov was mourning, Reuven was mourning, Yehuda was mourning, everybody's in mourning. Yaakov over the loss of his son, Yehuda over the loss of his status and position, and his children, Reuven because of his sins, but Hashem is busy creating the light of Mashiach. With all the suffering going on, and with everybody mourning, thinking this is the nadir, this is the worst, this is the low, Hashem is in the middle at that point creating the light of Mashiach. If you're in the middle of the story, there's no way you're going to understand it. Therefore, Yaakov, by viewing the mere middle of the story, the prat, the particular, the one event, without placing it in the context of the total picture, of the total panoramic picture, without that perspective, is going to come up with a different conclusion. Ki haklali. So Yaakov, by looking at the Mikra Prati, the individual event, the Fianir was bad. We have to always remember never to judge things by the particular event, but rather placed in the totality, the whole context. You got to get the perspective of the whole. Because in the all-inclusive macro scale, near Kol Prat we view every event in a somewhat different light as well as here that if you look at the Gheshbin HaKloli the overall total picture Hashem is making Yosef the king which was going to be to the benefit of the Jewish people as well as the benefit of Yaakov so what you think is bad could be the opposite and here he quotes in the next paragraph from the letter of the Vilna Gain. and at this point we're going to take a digression shortly the Chen of Hagro the in, in a letter to Lebnei Beso to his family he writes tomorrow you are going to cry for that which you are laughing about today but the reverse and tomorrow you are going to laugh at that which you are crying about today nine months ago there was this what's the kid's name Peterson whatever his name was what's her name Amy Grossberg they were laughing it up in some motel room they were laughing it up and now they're crying in the words of the lawyer he's crying and crying and crying and crying and crying and he's scared and scared and scared that which caused him 10 minutes of laughter 9 months ago he's probably going to be eternally paying and crying for that which he laughed. The same thing that he laughed for, nine months later he's going to be crying eternally. Says the Vilna Gaon, what you are laughing about today 
can bring tears in the future. And you know something? That which you're mourning today and crying about can bring you tears of joy later. At this point I want to digress and then we'll get back to Rav Chaim Shmuel. Turn the page. We're going to digress. We find later how Yaakov how Yaakov marries Rachel and Leah. He loves Rachel. Doesn't seem to particularly care for Leah. He marries Leah first. He then marries Rachel. And Leah has one son after another, after another. And finally, when she has her fourth son, she feels very good about it. The first son, she says, God has seen that I have been unloved and my affliction and my sorrow. And therefore, he called him Reuben. Second son, the same thing. The third son, the same thing. Finally, by the fourth son, Yehuda says, Hapam, now finally this time, Odes Hashem, let me give thanks to God. Hodah. Therefore, his name was called Yehuda, which means Hodah. Hodah. To, um, to give thanks. To give thanks to Hashem. The Gemara says in Brachas, I suppose it also learns out from the word Hapam, this time, this time I will give thanks. That this was more than just her own personal private statement. But the Gemara in Brachas, Tav Zayin says, that Miyoyim Shabora Kodesh Baruch from the beginning of creation, Lohoya Adam, it never occurred that there was a human being that gave Hodah, thanksgiving to Hashem, to Leah. Of course, now we have thanksgiving every year. But the very first thanksgiving was in this parsha. Hodah, right? That's what thanksgiving means. Hodu. I always say, the reason why we eat turkey on thanksgiving is because uh, in Hebrew, a turkey is called an of Hodu. Which of course Hodu is, is from India because Hodu is India. But Hodu is also we begin davening with. Hodu Lashem. Give thanks to Hashem. So the Thanksgiving bird is the Oif Hodu. It's a Thanksgiving bird. But the very first Thanksgiving of Hodah, Jews say Modim every day three times. Modim. Modim is Hodah. Berchas Hodah. Thanksgiving. We do it thrice daily. Okay, it's not bad that Goyim should do it once a year. It's not so bad. <laughs> So that's the kasha. What do you mean? Leah was the first person to ever give Hoidah. Avram built an altar and gave thanks to Hashem and Yitzchak. Noah built an altar right after the Mabul. He built an altar. Kain. Kain, what Kain do? He brought an offering to God. You mean, uh, you, you, you mean Adam did Hoidah? Kain brought Hoidah? That I don't know. But okay, if you say so. I'll take your word for it. All right. You, talk, you, you think about Shuva. It says Kain met Adam with the Shuva and Ruvain later on. You have the same Kasha. Ruvain was the first one to say Shuva. Whatever. But Hodor, the idea of Hodor, of giving thanks, seems to have been invented by Leah. It doesn't make sense. I guess it's derived from the fact that it's Hapam. This time. Now finally I'll give thanks. First person to think of Hodor. Okay, one could possibly say that there's a difference between what the word Hodah means as opposed to other forms of thanks. The truth is the word Hodah actually 
although we use it to mean toda, which means thank you, but it also means hoda, when a person admits to the fact that he owes money. It's called hoda. Hoda's baldin, the admission of a baldin. So hoda also means admission. So it means thank you, toda. It also means admission. I guess one could say a kind of a word that would bridge the two ideas of thank you as well as which would be gratitude and admission which is just to admit something that's true maybe what seems the word acknowledgement to acknowledge that's really what thanksgiving is I'm acknowledging a debt or I'm acknowledging a good favor that you've done which is really the essence of what Hodoi is I acknowledge, I admit, I agree I say yes gratitude does that only mean the word thank you but rather I acknowledge a favor that's done Hodoh, admission, acknowledgement. So what does it mean lay is the first? So if you look, we'll take a look at two Pshatim on this. One from the Ksav Seifer and one from the Mayana Shaltaira brings down the Tiv Gitten. We'll look at that one first in the middle of the page on side two, on the right. And then we'll go back onto the Ksav Seifer. Says the Mayana Shaltaira, in the name of the Tiv Gitten, he asked the Kasha, the Ovos invented the prayers so what does it mean? He didn't thank Hashem before Leah. Teretz is, he says, Biram, Haidah Perusha Hakor Azulas. as we said, means an admission, an acknowledgement of the righteousness of the other party. Kloimar, When I think that you're wrong, it's like I admit I owe you money. It means I first deny it. You make a claim. I think your claim is unjust. Now I acknowledge the justice of your claim. You're right. I admit. I admit it. I owe you the money. So admission is an admission of the righteousness of the other party. That's what Hodor really means. When you first deny it, you think the other party is wrong, then Hikir Bitsit Koso, I then recognize your, your righteousness. At first, Leah saw herself as being unjustly dealt with. She's crying. She's spending her whole life crying, thinking she's going to marry Esau. It's not fair. Why am I going to have to marry Esau? Finally, she's able to marry Yaakov. So she marries Yaakov. My husband doesn't love me. My husband loves my sister. And again she says it, and again she says it, and again she says it. Finally she comes to an awareness, a realization. All of a sudden a novel insight comes into her. It's a revelation, which is, she sees it till now as being something bad. She sees that what she thought was bad, not only that it turns out good, but if not for the bad, it never would have turned out good. From the raw, what she perceived as bad, that's where the good came from. Why? Because it's only because she was hated or unloved, let's call it. That's why she was able to give the birth to the majority of the tribes of Israel and be the matriarch of half of them. Therefore, she says, Now, finally, I understand, I have this revelation, this recognition that God is right and that God is just, and I admit it. I acknowledge it. That means I finally perceive it and I admit to it. It's an admission of a new perception. That that which she perceived as being bad wasn't. 
was really good. So therefore he says, true, the Avos and others before thanked Hashem. Noah thanked Hashem for saving him, for rescuing him from the flood. The forefathers also. But this term, Haidor, we find the first time. This term of acknowledgement and an admission of what was previously perceived as bad is not. And it's really good and I admit to it. And I finally understand, I see the whole picture. This is the first time. In fact, you could see it very clearly in the Pesukim. The Pesuk says, we know that Chazal tell us that the matriarchs were all barren. They were born barren. For whatever reason, Hashem wanted them to daven. Hashem wanted them to go through trials, tribulation. Hashem wanted them to love the child, let's say. Whatever the reason is, that's a modern spin on it. A child that's yearned for is loved more. Okay, there's some truth to that as well. It's a modern spin, interpretation on all of this. However one understands it. But certainly, the fact is that Hashem did expect the matriarchs to have to like pray and and really work on having a child. They were all born barren. Now the Pasuk tells us here, what about Leah? Where did Leah fit into this picture of barrenness? So it says, if you look on page 69, page 69, Pasuk, Lamed, four lines from the bottom, Vayovo Kamal Rochel. Yaakov marries Rochel, Vayav Gamas Rochel mi Leah. He loves Rochel more than Leah. The next Pasuk, it says, Vayar Hashem Kisnua Leah. God sees that Leah is rejected. That's the way I choose to translate the word right now. And therefore, God opens her womb. What do you mean, what's the connection? In other words, Rachel and Leah were equally barren. God sees that Leah is suffering. And therefore, on account of that, He opens up her womb. But Rachel remains in her prior state of barrenness. Not that God makes Rachel barren. The Rachel Akora, Rachel was and is an Akora. This is what she was. This is what she is. The Pasuk is therefore emphasizing to us the cause of why Leah is different. Rachel didn't become barren. She didn't do anything wrong. God's not trying to punish Rachel. This is Rachel's natural state. But now Leah is removed from this natural state. God sees how Leah has been rejected. God opens her womb, but not Rachel. She remains what she was. She was and is in accord, but not Leah. In other words, that which Leah says, look at me. What's going on? All of a sudden, her she becomes fertile. She has one son, a second son, a third son. The first son is the Bukhar. When she has Levi, she sees the angels escorting him. This is going to be the this is going to be the Levim, the Kohanim, the Kohen Gadol, Moshe Aaron, Shevet Kuhn is descending from Levi. Yehuda, Malchus, kingship, Mashiach is descending from Yehuda. Hey, it's all coming from me. Why? Because of what I previously thought was bad for me. That's why it's happening. And then she has Yisachar and Zvulun. Yisachar and Zvulun, of course. One is the Talmud Chacham who learns Sanhedrin. The other is the supporter of Torah. That's half of the tribes of Israel. Six tribes come from her. Kuhuna, 
Levia, Malchus, Torah, Moshe, Aaron, support of Torah, all from her. Was that bad? And it's only for that reason that she had the children. Hapam, now I understand. I finally understand Hapam Oides Hashem. Now I could thank Hashem because what I previously interpreted as bad, I see is good. She's the first one to be able to give that kind of Hoidah. The acknowledgement of the righteousness and the justice of what she previously denied. What she had previously denied, what she had previously thought was bad, she is now able to acknowledge the righteousness and the justice of Hashem and say, I see it's good for me. Hapam, now, finally, Oides Hashem. She sees the whole picture. That's what I'm saying. That's what I mean. The word Hoidah means Todah, which means thanks, thanksgiving, and it also means Hodah, which means admission. That's what it is. The same Shorish. She recognizes and admits to it. What does this mean? Is that what the Vilna Gaon said? That which you cry about today, that's what you're going to laugh about tomorrow. What she cried for in the beginning, she smiled and laughed about later on. Let's now look at Rachel. And let's see if the same thing applies to Rachel. How does Rachel have a child? Let's take a look at the birth of Rachel's child. If you look on page on page 71 Interesting way of explaining how Hashem finally allowed Rachel to have a child. And God remembered Rachel. He remembered Rachel. Zichronos. He listens to her. And he opens up her womb. What I should also point out is the fact that Elohim is used throughout this passage twice. As if the God of justice is, is doing it. One would think this is mercy. God finally has mercy on Rachel and opens up her womb. And God in His infinite mercy says, Okay, finally time to give Rachel a child. What's the Vayizkar? It almost reminds us of, of Rosh Hashanah, the Yom Hadin, the Day of Judgment. When we say Zichronos, how God remembers everything and judges everything. I mean, it's, it's almost giving us the wrong, the wrong kind of... Uh, of a flavor or the wrong background here. We deal with mercy. And God, the God of judgment and justice, remembers Rachel. What's he remembering here? Says Rashi. Zohar law is the first column, bottom line. It's always the bottom line. Zohar law, Shemosra Simoneho Lachoisa. She remembers how, with great self-sacrifice, Rachel gives over to Leah the Simonim. And she was concerned that Yaakov might divorce or whatever. In any case, that's the message says. That God remembered what she did. It was not God remembered Rachel. God remembered something that Rachel did that made her worthy of having children. We could already understand the Elohim. This wasn't given to Rachel mercifully. This was given to Rachel because she deserved it. She did something that she deserved. What is it that she did that she deserved? What she did was 
what she did was that when Yaakov made up to marry Rachel, they had a kind of a system of code between them so that they would know that Rachel's not trying to to manipulate and to try to exchange. And at the last minute when Rachel finally when was exchanged for Leah, and Leah was going to be faced with the embarrassment of having Yaakov throw her out of the tent, Rachel told over to Leah those signals, the code, to pretend that she's Rachel. And Rachel went even a step further that in the tent she laid under the bed and she was able to then respond to Yaakov, talk to him, whatever. Rachel gave over, therefore, her, her right to Yaakov, to Leah. And Hashem says that's a very remarkable thing. How remarkable. Let's take a look at this. The Medrash in the upper left comes from the, from the introduction to Medrash Eicha beautiful long medrash there about how when the Jews are suffering everybody's trying to come to their defense and it's a very lengthy medrash how Avram has a dialogue with Hashem saying why are my children suffering look what I've done the Torah and everything else look what I was willing to do to my child who I loved I had after a hundred years I was willing to give him up and now you're going to persecute their descendants and Yitzhak also likewise says what the, look at me my father tells me, God wants you dead. And I say, okay. I want to do that. Why are my children suffering? And Yaakov is coming, and Moshe is coming, and saying, 40 years I spent in the wilderness nursing these people, and I prayed for them countless times. Can't you have mercy on them? Why are you causing them so much suffering? And God is ignoring all of their pleas. All of a sudden, continues the Medrash, and we'll pick up from there. After Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and Moshe, and they're all coming, pleading on behalf of the Jews. Says the Medrash, on the upper left, at that moment, Rachel, the matriarch, jumps in, interrupts, interrupts the dialogue, and says, Master of the universe, you know, Sheyakov Yaakov, uh, how Yaakov, your servant, loved me dearly with a, with a tremendous love. He was willing to work on my behalf for my father. Seven years. And after the seven long years, we had a long engagement. Seven years of anticipation. A long engagement. And he worked and slaved for me. And after the seven years, I was to be married. And my father thought, My father said, you know what? Let me give Leah instead. He loved Rachel. And he worked for Rachel. So I'll give him Leah anyway. And it was very difficult on me. Because I knew that Lovell was conniving and scheming. And my father wanted to do this. So what did I do? I, my immediate reaction was, I don't know how my father is going to do it, but let me tell Yaakov that he's planning on doing it. So, I spoke to my future husband, my fiancé, and I gave him some sort of a simon, a code, that he could distinguish between me and my sister. 
in order that we should be able to frustrate the designs of love and to make the exchange. So I gave him over these signs. But then afterwards I had second thoughts. And I, and I felt bad about this. And I reined in my desires. And I had mercy on my sister. That she shouldn't go off to shame. She shouldn't come out mocked and shame. And I changed my mind. And I reined in my desires. They exchanged me. And I told over to my sister all of those signs and codes that I gave over previously to my fiance. I told her over to my wife, to my sister rather. That he should think that my sister is me. And beyond that. I laid beneath the bed that my husband was laying with my sister on. I was under that bed that Yaakov was with my sister. When he spoke to her, she said nothing. I guess she was a little bit of a ventriloquist. I'll call Dover Vidover. In order that he shouldn't know that it's my sister. And I did this great kindness to her at great sacrifice to myself. And I wasn't envious of the fact that look who she's marrying. She's marrying my husband. After seven years. I didn't want her to be embarrassed. Says Rachel. Shani Basavadam offer vape, what am I? Flesh and blood, dust and ashes, like Hinesi Litsarashali. I wasn't jealous of my competitor. The Lord to see Lubushul Kherpan, I didn't want it to be shamed and marked. I taught you the great king Melachai Vikayam, the eternally living king. Rahman, merciful. Why are you jealous of the idols? There's nothing to them anyway. You exiled my children. They're killed with the sword. And you're letting their enemies do as they will. When Hashem heard this plea, and Hashem said, Yes, now, on your account, the Jews will be returned. The Jews will go back from exile. So says the Navi. So says the Lord. There is a voice, a sound of crying in the uppermost heavens and it's being heard. There's mourning and whining and tears and crying. Bitter tears. What's this crying that's being heard? Rachel Mevakal Boneha. Rachel the matriarch. She's crying over her beloved children. She refuses consolation regarding her children because they're in exile. And what does the Pasik then say? Stop your voice from crying, Rachel. Stop the tears from flowing down from your eyes. 
because there is going to be reward for what you have done. There is reward for your deeds. There is reward for what you have done. There is hope for the end. And what is that? The children will go back to their borders. What reward for her deeds is it referring to? There is reward for what you have done. There is reward for what you have done. Where do we find that Rachel did anything? What did she do? This is what she did. What she did was she allowed her sister to replace her. And Hashem says, I don't listen to Avram. I'm not listening to Yitzchak. Yaakov and Moshe cries and please, falling on the fears. What you are saying, Rachel, that makes sense. What you are saying has merit. You deserve reward for what you have done. Schar. Reward. I'm paying you back. This isn't mercy. This is reward for deed well done that deserves a payment, a repayment. God, the God of judgment and justice, remembers what Rachel did. It's like Yom Adin, it's Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is a time of judgment and justice. Rosh Hashanah is a time of Zichronos, of Elohim, of the God of justice. Not the God of mercy, the God of justice. And this Pasuk is telling you, this isn't merely mercy, but God says you deserve it. By Yizkor Elohim, and God remembers, the God of justice remembers and says, yes, you deserve to have children. What does this tell us? What this tells us, that Rachel, Gave up so much. In fact, let's take a look at the small piece over here first for a second. Right below. Kashevitro Rochel. Let's understand the sacrifice. Umoslos a simonim yoda. When she gave away those simonim, she knew. She mafsido bezeh es hazchus lios eishes Yaakov. She gave up the opportunity to be the wife of Yaakov. Because she couldn't possibly think that Yaakov was going to marry both. And therefore she also understood that she has given up her opportunity of being the matriarch of the Jewish people. She gave it up. She will not be the mother of the Jewish people. Nevertheless, she was willing to give it all up in order to save her sister. Therefore, says the Pasuk, Hashem rewards every deed. And if you go betmimus and derech yishar, you won't get harmed. Other it says, Rochel Akora, it says, Rochel was destined to be an Akora. Had she not have done what she did, had she have married Yaakov, then in a natural fashion, she would have remained barren. And she never would have been a matriarch of the Shvatim. Only because she did what she did, did she indeed become a matriarch. It's amazing. An amazing idea. Only because of what she did did she merit the schar to have children. How do we know that? That's what the Pasuk says. God remembered what she did and therefore and she deserved it. In other words, it's telling us why did Rachel have Yosef? Because of this deed. At the time she was doing it, she was crying and mourning. Says the Vilna Gain. From what you're crying about tonight, tomorrow you're going to rejoice. Because if not for these tears, if not for this crying, you would never become a matriarch. What you think is your ticket out is actually your ticket in. You think you're losing it. If not for this, you'd never have it. 
Not only by doing this are you not losing it, but if you wouldn't do this, you'd remain barren. V'rochel akara, Rochel remained barren. By Yiskar al-Kim, Hashem remembers what she did. Rochel, what's causing you tears today will cause you tears of joy tomorrow. You asked me a question about the Holocaust. I can't answer that. I'm still holding in that same night, in the night of Golos, of Rochel under the bed. That's where we're holding. And there's no way that we could see what's going to be tomorrow. There's no way we could tell. And Rochel thought this is the ticket out. And Hashem says this is the ticket in. Because had you not have done what you did, had you have hoarded Yaakov to yourself, and had you have married Yaakov, you never would have had the merit to have children. If anything, the fact that your sister would be jealous and mourning and crying on the side would have constantly been an eye in horror to prevent you from having children. If you wouldn't have done what you did for your sister Leah, had you have married Yaakov the way you initially anticipated, you never would have had children. You never would have been a matriarch. Now you're giving it up, thinking you'll never be a matriarch, and precisely because of this, do you become a matriarch. So I ask you, it's a parsha stuma. It's a parsha stuma golos. There's no way of comprehending this. Leah and Rachel tells us this parsha, this parsha stuma, both had children and built Klal Yisrael from events that they thought were bad turned out, turning out good. What Leah thought is bad was ultimately good. That's why she got half of Klal Yisrael. What Rachel thought was bad is why she merited having Yosef. So the whole building, the foundation of the Jewish people came about from a Pasha Stuma, from a mysterious Pasha. There's no way of comprehending. How could we have comprehended any of this? The whole Pasha is a Pasha Stuma that deals with the birth and the birthing of Klal Yisrael. And more than that, it's true in terms of Leah and Rachel in their personal lives. But take a look what the Medrash tells us. In the great cosmic scheme of things, what is the merit that the Jewish people have to come back? Not the pleadings of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. But what Rochel did, Hashem says, it's good you did it. Because now I guarantee the children to return. Now they're going to return. So it was true in the grand scheme of things as well. Before we go back to Rav Chaim Shmuel let's again just go back a little bit to this Leia business and see what the Ksav Seifer says. And then we'll go back to the Rav Chaim Shmuel Says the Ksav Seifer. And I'll try doing it rather quickly. Hapam Oides Hashem in the top right. He brings out the Gemara Brochus that we saw earlier that Leia is the first one to do Haidah. He asked the same Kasha word about all the previous people. And he says the following. Chazal tell us. Third line. If a person recites the Halel, refer to the Halel HaGodl, what we say on Shabbos, and all of those things, if a person says that daily, he's considered a blasphemer. So he says, why? So there's a beautiful Meshachachma on this, why by Ashrei we say the reverse, that it's considered your Ben Olam Haba. He says a similar idea over here. I'm not going to go to Meshachachma, we don't have time. So he says like this, Loma, why should it be? Because he constantly recalls the mercy of Hashem in taking us out of Egypt and all the great miracles. For that he should be punished and called a blasphemer. He's, he's recounting the exodus of Egypt. 
We say modem every day. What are we saying modem? Al nisachav al nifloh secho shabchol yom imanu. Erev avokim v'tzorayim. Hatov kilochol rachamecho v'amrachem kilosamu chasodecho. May olam kivinuloch. We're thanking Hashem for the daily miracle. The hourly miracle. The constant miracle. Morning, afternoon, and the night. Our daily lives are miraculous. That's what modem is. Hapam oides Hashem. I'm thanking you modem for what? For last night, for today, for tomorrow, for life. That's what a person has to do. That's why we say modem. Our bracha known as hodah is a thanksgiving for the daily. Not the yearly annual thanksgiving turkey, but the daily thanks. Chazal <coughs> actually say, Kol The last pasuk of, of Tehillim, we say every day, Kol Every soul should praise Hashem. Chazal interpreted for the word neshama is neshima, breath. For every breath you should thank Hashem. I'll call neshima, neshima, for each and every breath you thank Hashem. Even though, what is this? It's natural. It's all natural things that are occurring. There's nothing supernatural about it. There's nothing special about my breathing over your breathing. Why should I thank Hashem today for my breathing when I see so many people around me breathing every day? There's no miracle and there's nothing unusual. Heretz is that that's what we have to give thanks for as well. When a person sees that a miracle occurs to him unnaturally and he sees how he's special, unique and different than everybody else he feels a sense of duty and obligation to thank Hashem for that and to praise Hashem for the great miracles that He performed for him. However, for the natural things that happen to you you don't feel impelled by this need to thank Hashem. You don't feel the necessity to thank Hashem. Therefore, If a person is only capable of thinking in terms of thanking Hashem for the big miracles that happened 3,000 years ago in Egypt, but he can't bring himself to say more than three times a day, and he can't thank Hashem for the daily miracle of Teva, of nature, that's blasphemy. You're only thanking Hashem for those supernatural miracles that you understand and that you could comprehend and that you saw yesterday or a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago and that's all you could thank Him for. But everything else subsequently you can't bring yourself to thank Him for. That's blasphemy. That's Kfir. That's Apikorsis. Because that you don't recognize and have no gratitude to Hashem. What's happening is natural. It's all not by God. It's not by design. It's by chance. It's by happenstance. It's all natural. It's nature. Therefore, he says, yes, Abram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and Noah thanked Hashem and brought korbanos for the fact that they were saved because they felt God did them a special favor. And when they were saved from the flood, they bring a korban. So they gave praise and thanksgiving to Hashem. But that is not an unusual thing. That person should give Hashem thanks for that. Leah, we find something unique. She said, I had a baby. Wow! I had another one. And a third one. And a fourth one. I had so many babies. Hapam oides Hashem. There's people all around me having babies. It's the most natural thing in the world. Right? Everybody's having babies. And it's not the first, it's the fourth. And it's the fourth one. Right? 
And what does she say? She gives her daughter to Hashem, even though it's the Teva. But she said, this isn't chance. This isn't a chance occurrence. Hapam oides Hashem. She's the first one that initiated the concept of Hoidor as we have it in Maidim. In Maidim we say Hoidor, not for supernatural miracles, but for the natural, daily, hourly miracle. Alanisim, that we say for Hanukkah and Purim. Purim was natural. Hanukkah, we're not even thanking Hashem in the Modim for the supernatural miracle of the menorah, but rather for the natural miracle of winning a war. Hoidor of even the events of nature to thank Him for everything to see the whole picture and each part of the picture is part of the miracle we now have two pshatim in Leah what Haidah was Haidah that what she thought was bad turns out good and Haidah for natural things as well L'mochor tifke me'asher hayom tishak L'mochor tishak me'asher hayom tifke Leah you thought it's bad that, that, that Yaakov hates you not at all Ruvain the Bukhar, Levi Kahuna, Yehuda Malchus, half of Klai Yisrael, all from you. For what? Because Hashem sees the plight that you're in. That's what's causing your salvation. Now I see it. Rochel. Rochel. You think that by giving up your ability to be the matriarch of Klai Yisrael, you're losing it? If you wouldn't have done that, you never would have made it. Rochel HaKorah, you would have remained barren. Vayizkor Elohim Es Rochel. Hashem, the God of judgment. Yeschar L'Pulosayich. There is reward for what you did. That's why you're having a child. What you are crying about the night before, under that bed she's crying, tears. Tomorrow you're going to smile. You're going to laugh. That's why you're going to have children. It's a Parsha Stuma. The whole Parsha of Golos is a partial student. There's no possible way of comprehending that which turns out for our benefit later on. This is the Parsha Vayetze, the Parsha of Golos, and the Parsha of the building of Klaiso. It's all a partial stuma. All of Rachel's children, all of Leah's children, it all came about in this kind of mysterious way. Hapam Oides Hashem. That's what we have to thank Hashem for. For the natural things, for the whole picture, as well as for the things that we think that are that are that initially look bad, but ultimately turn out for our benefit. We therefore learn two lessons from Leah, Hapam Oides Hashem, to give Shvach V'hoidah for even the natural things. Not to just only thank Hashem for the great salvations, for the miracles, for the supernatural events, for those great cataclysmic events in Klal Yisrael that are clearly salvations, but even for the day-to-day Tiviyistig and natural things, even for that, Hapam Oides Hashem, to thank Hashem. Now I learned the lesson to thank Hashem on Yisecho, on the Flo Yisecho, Shabchol Yom Imonu, Shabchol Eis Erev Avoykev Betzaroyim, for all the events, the constant miracle of life. We thank Hashem for the natural things, and Hapam Oides Hashem, for those things that initially looked bad. But even those things I thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for, for the Parshas Tuma of Golos, continues Reb Chaim Shmulevitz, Zehu Habir Shel Gamzul That's what the expression Gamzul this also is for the good. 
Lohoyrus to teach us this lesson, not to judge the prat, not to judge the specific event isolated and independent from the context of, from which it occurs, but to view things from the total panoramic perspective. And that's why the word is used, Gamzu Latoiva. This also, this too, Besoifushal Cheshben. That's what Nochem Ish Gamzu was teaching us. Not to judge things individually and isolated, but to always say, Gamzu, this will also somehow add up Besoifushal Cheshben in the total picture Latoiva. Umuftachu, and we could be confident, Kiacheshben Hakloli, that the all inclusive general perspective then it'll be Latoiva. Mishpatei Hashem Emes, the judgments of Hashem are true. Tzotku Yachtov, we could see its righteousness when it's all together, when it all comes together in perspective. When everything comes at the end and we're able to view the overall picture in context, then when it's Yachtov, then it's nearer then we can see and perceive and appreciate that the Tzidkas Hashem Umishpotov, that His judgments are truly righteous. The famous story of the Talmud of Nochum Ishgamzu, Rabbi Akiva, the Gemara and Brachas, Dav Samachomet Beis, Lo'olam Yehei Odom Rogil, Lo'imar Kolmado Ovid, Rachman Olatav Ovid. A person should always accustom himself to say that all that Hashem has done is for the good. And it brings down the famous story of Rabbi Akiva, that when he was traveling and he came to the city and he attempted to find some lodging and everybody gave him um, they closed the door in his face and he couldn't find a place to sleep and he was forced to sleep in the in the fields in the outskirts of the city and to which Rabbi Akiva said that obviously this is for the benefit this is for my benefit and he slept in the field and he lit a candle a light and the wind came and blew it out, so he was stuck in the dark. He also had with him a rooster to awaken him, and a cat came and killed the rooster. He also had with him a donkey, and a lion came and killed the donkey. At each stage, Rabbi Akiva said, called over Rahman all that Hashem has done is obviously for my benefit. That night, a band of soldiers, of robbers came, and they wiped out that town. Said Rabbi Akiva in the morning, when he saw how everybody was killed, he said, if not for the fact that what Hashem did for me, I would have been killed. Now I truly see, isn't it true that had they have seen my light, had they have heard my rooster, had my donkey of bread, I likewise would have been killed. One can imagine the situation that Rabbi Akiva found himself in the middle of the forest that night, far from the city, far from civilization, surrounded by wild animals, by lions, wild cats, whatever the case is, stuck in the dark all alone. He was there surrounded by wild beasts without light. Yet in that darkness, Rabbi Akiva said, All that Hashem does is for the good. There's no way that Rabbi Akiva in the middle of the night could have possibly perceived that this is for his benefit. He did it as an act of faith. Rabbi Akiva, though, was lucky. He was lucky to wake up in the morning and learn the lesson instantly, to immediately see this lesson of Koma Dovid Rahman Latavu. Once we are in the morning, when we have 
2020 hindsight, when we're able to see things in the morning in the whole picture, in the light of morning, we could see that all that occurred during the night was for the benefit. Rabbi Akiva was zoichet to see in the morning the chesh ben haklali, the all-inclusive, the all-inclusive perspective. And then he was able to see how all that occurred the night before, that looked at individually as an isolated, unrelated event, then it looks bad. But viewed in the totality of the whole picture, when you're able to have the clarity of the light of the morning and look back at it with this 2020 clear hindsight, then already you see that that was actually good for you. We are living right now in the middle of the night of Golis. We don't have the good fortune of seeing the morning as Rabbi Kiva did and immediately learning the lesson of how Gamzul Tova. We're viewing at it from the perspective of the night. Like Rochel, we are beneath the bed at night and we see ourselves in Golis and we don't possibly see how we could come out of it and how it could be for our benefit. Like Rachel, she couldn't have possibly anticipated that this was going to be the cause of that she shall have children. That when she was giving away her opportunity of being a matriarch, she was actually, in the fact, ensuring herself the fact that she will be the matriarch. But she couldn't have possibly seen that in the darkness of the night beneath that bed. Leah couldn't have seen it when she was hated, when she was disliked by Yaakov. Rabbi Akiva in the middle of the night, in the darkness of that night, couldn't see it. We in the middle of the darkness of Golis, as we said, Yaakov Avinu Vayetze, Yaakov Miber Sheva, he created for us the Tefillah of Mayrev, the Tefillah of Mayrev, which is the Tefillah of Golis, of the darkness of Golis. And in the darkness of Golis, we are like Rabbi Akiva lost in that forest, surrounded by wild beasts, with no light and we can't possibly see how this can turn out good but in the clarity of the vision of the brightness of the day that Rabbi Akiva had immediately thereafter the morning after he was able to see how it all fits in he was lucky we are still right now in the darkness of that Golos Chazal tell us in Mesech Psachim, the end of the third parak, Dafnun Omed Aleph it says in the future, In the future, God shall be one. God is not one now. In this world, we say, There's a special bracha for good news. And that is, on bad tidings, Abbasurus rose, we have another bracha, Boruch Dayan Ho'emes. It's based on the principle, the Gemorrah Brachas, Kishem Shem Vorchan Alatov, Kach Mevorchan Alara. We bless Hashem for good as well as things that aren't good. We bless Hashem for both. However, the brachas are different. In the next world, it's going to be just one bracha, Hatova Metiv. This then is the true unity of God, that He will be perceived as one. Explains Rashi, what does it mean, Kulo Hatova Metiv in the next world? There is no bad tidings in the next world, everything will be good. But a deeper understanding of this Gemara, based on what we've said, is the following. Yes, we bless Hashem in this world, 
for good tidings and bad tidings, but we make them different brachas. Why do we bless Hashem for both? Because there is no bad. We believe that everything is for the good. Like Rabbi Akiva said, like Nochemish Gamzu said, and like we've learned. Everything is for the good, everything is for our benefit. However, nevertheless, while you're going through the darkness of the night, the perception is not the same. True, the belief is the same. We believe ultimately it's going to be for the good. But we don't perceive it that way. While we're in the middle of the Golas, while we're in the middle of the darkness, we perceive good tidings and bad tidings. And therefore we cannot say the same bracha because our reaction is not the same. We don't feel the same about it. We have belief and therefore we bless Hashem, but we bless Him with two different and distinct blessings. We're in the middle of it. In Olam Haba, when we're able to finally look back and actually see the good that Hashem intended throughout and see that that which we thought is bad is really good. Hapam oides Hashem. We could then in hindsight thank Hashem for everything and see that everything was like Rabbi Akiva in the morning that says, take a look. Now we can see, now I can see that all that Hashem did last night was for the good. Then our perception is one. We have the unified perception that it is good. So there's only one bracha. Then even on the receiving end of that which occurred, we can appreciate and see and perceive and recognize that it is good. So there's only one bracha then. Because we see that it's good. There's only the bracha of Atov HaMetiv. No longer die in Ho'emes where we have to believe that it is good. We can now make Hatova HaMetiv because we perceive that it is good. Not only to believe that it's good, but to perceive that it's good. That's the bracha of Hatova HaMetiv. That could only be said though in Olam Habo, in the light of dawn of the morning of the dawning of the age of redemption. Not in the Lila of Golos, when things look differently. Things look distorted. It's a Parsha Stuma. We can't save Hatova Metiv yet, because we're left with so many questions, with so many doubts. We believe it, but we learn the lesson that the total picture, Lo'asid Lava, when we can see the total picture, when it'll be daytime, when we'll have the light of true perception, then we'll be able to make the one right bracha of Hatova Metiv. Continues Rabbi Chaim Shmulevitz. We could then see like Rabbi Akiva called when viewed independently and separately and, this, and detached turns around in the totality of being a miracle. Like Rabbi Akiva had those events that seemed bad were actually miraculous events. And it all becomes one long Megillah of Hatzolos and Nefoshes in a miraculous way. Continues Reb Chaim, even the Scharva Einish reward and punishment, even that which a person receives as reward and punishment for his choices that he makes, nevertheless somehow connect and become enmeshed in this total cosmic picture that Hashem plans in His master design for the entire world. And this is even a more remarkable thing. Because it comes out that I am making free choice decisions. Yet HaKadosh Baruch Hu somehow is linking it and connecting it and weaving it into this master plan grand design. <speaking in Hebrew> 
משתלבים בחשבון הכללי על ידי הקודש ברוך הוא בחוכמוסי הוא על יוינוי. And therefore he quotes here the Medrash Tanchuma on the Posik, Lechu uru mifalois Hashem. Come see the great wonders and doings that Hashem has done. Noira alila. How wondrous is his design and his excuse al bnei odam alila. A kind of a scheming plan. Explains the Tanchuma. Af Even these most marvelous and wondrous events that you bring upon the, us, it somehow comes to us as a kind of excuse. What does this mean? He brings down, the Medrash brings down the following. Odom Arishan said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu after he sinned, Kach Omar Odom Baruch Hu, said Odom Arishan to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Before you created the world, the Torah was already hidden by you for 2,000 years before the creation of the world. And what does it say in the Torah? Zos HaTorah Odom Kiyomus Bo'ohel This is the law of the Torah. When a person dies in a tent, he becomes Tomei. In other words, it was already preordained that death will enter the world. It's part of the Torah. And the Torah is the grand design of the world, of the universe. And it says in the Torah, Zos HaTorah, Odom Kiyomus Ba'ohel. Man is meant to die. In other words, it was predicted in advance that me, Odom Arishon, am going to sin and bring death into the world. It says it in the Torah. But you, Hashem, you're using a kind of an excuse to blame me for bringing death into the world. We see the same thing with the brothers in Yosef. It says, Vayiru Echov ki The brothers became envious that Yosef was more beloved by his father. And therefore the Gemara says, and we see in the Torah, Bishvil Kisoynes Pasim, as a result of this favoritism that Yaakov showed to Yosef by giving him the Kisoynes Pasim, it evoked envy in the others, in the brothers, and as a result we wound up in Golis in Mitzrayim. Continues the Medrash, Omar Rabbi Yudin, Hashem was, so to speak, scheming and trying to fulfill this, this pledge, this promise, this preordained future that Claudius saw is going to be enslaved for in Egypt and they're going to be there for 400 years. And he brings it about through an alila, a kind of an excuse. How? It brings it about by the fact that Yaakov showing favoritism to Yosef brings about jealousy and envy, which brings about hatred, which ultimately led to our exile in Egypt. The Gemara and Shabbos, the Ahmed Beis, says we learn from here. Rav says, We learn from here a lesson that a person shouldn't show favoritism to one of his children because we see that as on account of the favoritism that Yaakov showed to Yosef by giving him the Ksoyinus Pasen that was worth a few dollars more on account of those few dollars we wound up in Egypt because of the Shnei Siloim that Yaakov gave to Yosef Yosef Misharbonov in addition above and beyond what the other children got the Echov they became jealous 
and the events transpired, we wound up in Mitzrayim. Even though there was already a prior decree of Avodun Binosim Arba Meyoshana, as Tysus over there asks. In other words, what is this Medrash teaching us as Rabchaim Shmulevitz? We see from this Medrash the following concept that even though Hashem has a master plan, a grand design of cosmic proportions, there's a Gezeir of Avodun Binosim Arba Meyoshana. And this was preordained way earlier. Nevertheless, enmeshed in this grand design, great cheshbon, comes the individual acts that people think are their own free will acts. Part of this grand design was enmeshed and linked to it the cheshbon haprati, the small scheme of Yaakov who showed favoritism and as a result of the favoritism all this transpired. That's what the Pasuk is telling us. Go see the workings and the grand design of God. That namely, this grand design, the that was preordained before the world was even created. Nevertheless, it transpires and occurs through our little individual deeds that seemingly come about only as a result of our free will choices. It looks almost as if God is utilizing us as an excuse to fulfill His grand design and plan. It's as if God is, is fulfilling and bringing about His great design through some sort of a scheme that uses us as an excuse to bring it about. This that Hashem had preordained and predetermined as the master design of the universe, how does Hashem fulfill it? And He allows us to somehow bring about that Asher Nigzar Kaidim Lachain, that which was previously preordained and decreed. This really gets to the heart of the issue of Yediyah and Bechira. How HaKadosh Baruch was a master plan a grand design, a cosmic scheme, and by the same token, we have free will. And somehow the two enmesh and join together to bring about the conclusion that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants and had preordained. We somehow, with our free will, nevertheless bring about the fulfillment of the grand design of the universe. This is a tremendous mystery. The mystery of Yediyah and Bechira is one of the greatest mysteries of life. It's something beyond comprehension. It's truly a parsha stuma, how all of this works, how all becomes enmeshed and linked together to bring about the grand design. Hashem has His plans, Hashem has His designs, Hashem has His grand scheme, and yet we have free will. But somehow through our free will, we bring about all those things that Hashem had preordained. A mystery. It looks like an alila. Nevertheless, it's mifalos Hashem. It's the grand design, yet it looks like our petty little quirks and our petty little decisions that we're making. But it's part of Hashem's grand design. How? How the two link? How the two join? How they become enmeshed? A mystery. Parsha stuma. But this adds to our previous statement that Reb Chaim Shmulevitz was making. That there's no way for a person to judge and evaluate 
events that are transpiring while they're transpiring, if they're good or bad, because it's part of this grand design scheme, which is impossible for us to see till it's finally all over. Therefore, a person can never properly evaluate and judge his particular circumstances and occurrences because he's only one link in a long chain. He's only one rung in this great ladder. He's only one event in the great cosmic scheme of things. Because what is he? All he is is part of this great scheme that was arranged and prepared and Hashem had anticipated from from way back. That which is occurring looks like it's happening through you, but it's part of a grand cosmic event as well. And therefore there is this this grand design, this master plan of a macrocosm. And this Cheshbon HaKloli, that's Makif Me Odom HaRishon HaTzayv is this grand design that began from other Marishan through all the generations. And we're part of that plan. We're part of that grand scheme. But we're a small little peg. We're a small little rung in that. Vayochid Nichlal B'Cheshbon HaKloli. We are part of this general scheme of things. But how could we judge our individual events and occurrences in the grand scheme of things which Hashem had planned out in this master plan. How can we judge it by the specific events that are occurring now? This is what Nochum Ishgamzu achieved. There is no greater title to be given. Not Rabbi, not Rav, not Rabon. Nochum Ishgamzu. He was able to attach it together. Gamzu. My events and the things that occur in my decisions and all the events that occur and transpire in my life it's not only my life it's part of the grand scheme and in the grand scheme even what's happening to me gamzu when you attach it to everything else when you place it in context rather than detaching it rather than separating it but rather attach it to the whole scheme then you see gamzu letoiva when is it toiva? if it's gam if you take the zoo and you make a gam with it, then it becomes l'toiva. What do I mean by that? You take this particular specific event, the zoo, but you place it in the context of an entire sphere of, of, of things that occurred from the beginning till the end. You make it a gam, a part of a total picture, a part of a large package. Then you see that it's l'toiva. He brings down from the Gemara Megillah of Zion, about the issue of whether Megillah's Esther was written Beruach HaKadosh and he teaches us says Reb Chaim the Gemara is teaching us that the Tachlis of Megillah's Esther is to show to us that the beginning of the events of the miracle of Purim didn't begin with the part of where, Ash, where Achashverosh made Homon his advisor it didn't begin from the time when Esther became the queen. That's not where the story begins. But rather the story begins years earlier. When Klal Yisrael began by celebrating together with Achashverosh and partaking of Achashverosh's celebration and the decree then was given that the Jews have to be destroyed. And all that transpired after that was only a consequence 
and a result from the original decree. There was a decree of Lahashmid Laharam, and that decree was done in heaven as a result of the Jews partaking of Achashverus' celebration. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to prepare the miracle in advance, as we have the principle that the refuah, the cure, comes before the illness, the Makkah, through Mordechai and Esther. And through them, it brought about a great tshuva in Klal It brought about this great repentance. And all of the events of the Megillah are all little pieces, are all little pieces part of a great design, part of a cheshben haklali. And this is something which, through Ruach HaKodesh, they were able to teach us this lesson. How all the events that transpire is only one little peg in the grand scheme. When a person is able to place them all together and look at them in one general design as part of a grand cosmic scheme, then you're able to see the workings of Hashem. This is what the Megillah was teaching us. To teach us that all the workings of Hashem, how great and wondrous they are when taken together. How it's mishpatei Hashem emes, and it's tzadku, it's righteous, when it's yachdov, when you're able to look at the whole picture. That's why Parshas Vayetze is stuma, to teach us this lesson. The lesson of Nochum ish gamzu. It has to be taken all as one, together. The Megillah doesn't begin with Esther, doesn't begin with Haman, it begins much, much earlier. It's one Megillah has to be taken together from beginning to end. That's the only way you could appreciate and understand it. And likewise, only if you see Gamzu Litovo can you see the whole picture. Vayetze, the Parsha of Golos, as we said earlier from Parsha's Vayechi, is a Parsha Stuma. But the lesson of Parsha's Vayetze is what does it mean that it's a Parsha Stuma? It means you can't stop till you reach the end. That's why Parsha's Vayetze is Stuma. The Ein Borevach Ben Parsha Parsha. There are no breaks and interruptions in between the Parshios for Moshe to sit and to think and to contemplate and to meditate and to digest and to absorb. Kiloi Chalokim Chalokimi. Because it's not supposed to be understood piecemeal. Elokol Prat Uprat Shal Parshas Yaakov. The entire episode, the entire Vayetze, the entire events that transpired are not to be taken individually and detached but rather to be taken together, to be taken as a gamzu, one to the other. This is how Klal Yisrael is built. This is what the Golos says. You have to only see it when it's over. Then you can look back in hindsight and appreciate the whole thing. But Parshas Vayetze has to be taken all as one. The Parsha of Golos cannot be analyzed and understood and learned while, you're, uh, while the events are occurring. While things are transpiring in the middle, you cannot digest and absorb and understand it then. Even Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't. The lesson to Moshe was, don't try to contemplate and don't try to judge and don't try to understand the events in the middle of while they're occurring. Only taken together. Mishpatei Hashem Emes. Then it's Tzotku. When? If it's Yachdov. Parshas Vayetze is a Parshas Stuma because it could only be appreciated and understood even by Moshe Rabbeinu when it's all taken together. Then it becomes Gamzu Latova.